The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go to Acts chapter 20 this morning. Uh, it's been quite a few weeks now. We were traveling some and, and then I uh, felt led to speak on some other things uh, for a couple of weeks. Definitely usually don't like this many weeks between a part one and a part two. <laughs> but I, I do want to go back to Acts chapter 20 and look at, I guess, what we, what we would consider a part two of repentance and faith. And a repentance and faith really leading into radical conversions of the gospel. Okay, so something we've been trying to think about together, hopefully, is, is uh, what, what are the hallmarks, what are the identifying attributes of a thriving kingdom? Okay, a thriving kingdom, because we certainly want God's kingdom to grow and come and not just people be added, but people be multiplied in the kingdom. Um, so one hallmark of a growing and a thriving kingdom is not just people being added. We've looked at that, right? Uh, people were added to the church, 3,000 and 5,000. Then it came a time where they weren't just being added, they were being multiplied. And, and we're hopefully we've seen some of that pattern. But one glaring um, example of the amazing testimonies that we see in the book of Acts is radical conversion. So what I mean by that are, are the kind of testimonies in their life that I was in this, this horrible, deplorable condition and Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel and the kingdom came in my life and now this is who I am now and I have joy and peace in Jesus Christ and yeah, maybe some of the more dramatic examples, we want to look at some in, in, a, in the book of Acts, but to think about some examples um, <clears throat> in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, Mary Magdalene, right? Uh, she had seven devils, and then the Lord cast out those seven devils, and then she had an amazing ministry the rest of the time. One of the more dramatic ones, the wild Gadarean, Right? I mean, no man can tame him, just a total mess living out there in the tombs. And then Jesus Christ comes and he, he purges those, uh, those devils out of his life. And then he told him, he told, uh, he wanted to follow him, but he said, no, your, your calling is not to follow me. It's to go home and tell your family and your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. Now, now yes, that would have, uh, uh, the, the radical conversion of, of the wild Gadarean would have, would have had a tremendous impact on his family and his friends, right? But it would have been a dramatic conversion, even to people who didn't know him, right? If they just heard the facts and the circumstances of like, this is who he used to be out there just crazy and cutting himself and, and no man could tame him. And then, not only is he sitting in his right mind, but he's going and, and evangelizing and telling people about Jesus, right? And those type of radical conversions are all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the New Testament. 
And if we kind of feed this back into what we talked about, <clears throat> about the, uh, the uh, personal evangelism of each member of the church, the reason why the Lord gives us those bold testimonies is so that people would take notice and then desire to press into the kingdom, right? He, get, he gives us those testimonies and those radical conversions for the purpose that we would share it and people would say, wow, right? Wow, look what the Lord did. I want to unite myself with those people. So uh, we want to <clears throat> go back and look at, at an aspect of repentance and faith, but really that's feeding into these, these radical conversions that people would have never expected. And then they have the testimony that this is what the Lord did for me, and the Lord uses those testimonies to draw more people into the kingdom. Okay, so Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, and here the Apostle Paul is delivering his, uh, what he thinks might be his last message to the elders in the Ephesian church. He's going to Jerusalem, and <clears throat> I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, what things shall befall me there. Uh, he kind of feels like he may lose his life. He feels like this may be the last time that he sees them. So he's giving them this, la this last exhortation. So in Acts chapter 20, <clears throat> he summarizes his ministry in uh, those years, uh, three years, I believe, that he spent in Ephesus. He summarizes this in Acts chapter 20 <clears throat> and in verse 21. Let's read verse 20 first. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, I want to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 6, just to again refresh your memory. We talked about some of this last time, but I know it's been a bit since we considered the, the first half of it. So at the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 5, he's telling these, uh, these Jews that you should have been maturing in the faith. You, you should have been progressing more to where you should be able to teach others and not just staying as a babe in Christ. If, uh, if, a, ba if a baby keeps drinking milk you know, for five or six years, there's a major problem if that baby's not progressing, not progressing on to meet. So he said, look, guys, you should have been progressing. And he says here in uh, verse 1 of chapter 6, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So what is the foundational building blocks of the kingdom? The bare bones foundational building blocks. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And then those that obviously display repentance from dead works and display faith toward God, that leads right into the doctrine of baptisms, right? The other basic building blocks. And then laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So the very first two things that the Apostle Paul here says are the foundational building blocks of the kingdom <clears throat> is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And as old Baptists, we've been all nervous and terrified of repentance and faith because especially some of those in the Reform camp have used that as really just a backhanded work salvation. You know, uh, some people would say that you got to accept Jesus Christ to be saved. 
and you got to pray the sinner's prayer and all this stuff. And we know that that's not what the Bible teaches. But but then <clears throat> someone else would say, well, no, 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 you don't have to. You don't have to pray the sinner's prayer. You just need to place your faith in God. And it's not a work because faith is a gift of God, right? You're not doing it. Uh, so it's not a work that you perform. Well, there's a difference between the indwelling nature of faith that God gives in the soul and then active faith. Active faith is belief, okay? So if you are professing active faith in Christ, that, that's belief. <laughs> and anyone that says belief is not a work, I don't know what world they're living in. Belief is hard, right? It, it takes action. It takes forsaking something. It, it takes putting down doubts and, tr and choosing to trust Christ who against hope believed in hope was the struggle that Abraham went through. So uh, anyone that would say that, that faith and belief is not a work, first of all, that's simply not scriptural. But second of all, it just doesn't line up with our experience, right? Belief is hard, Right? Right? Would y'all agree with that? Belief is hard. Faith is hard. Active faith is hard. So uh, <clears throat> some of those, particularly in the reform camp, would say, well, you know, yes, you don't pray the sinner's prayer to go to heaven. No, you choose to place your faith in Christ. Well, it's telling you to do something, and that's just simply a work, right? That's the basic definition of a work. But even though some people might put repentance and faith in the wrong context, we just simply want to put it in the biblical context and exhort them, according to the Word of God, that this is the basic building block of pressing into the kingdom, right? When you present yourself uh, <clears throat> for baptism, I, you say, I want to join the church. Uh, what are you displaying when you come before the church and say that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Well, you're saying, number one, I have faith in Jesus Christ, right? I'm not putting my faith and confidence in my own works. I'm not putting my faith and confidence in my belief. I'm not putting faith in my faith. I'm putting faith that Jesus Christ finished the work of salvation and everything that was necessary on the cross, and I'm willing to publicly profess that I put all of my faith and all of my hope of eternal life in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. But <clears throat> there's also a change of life that should be associated with that, right? Uh, there were some people in John the Baptist's day, the uh, whited sepulcher Pharisees, and he said, uh, you may be presenting yourself for baptism, but I'm not going to baptize you. You, need to, you live a life that is more indicative of vipers. He called them that, a generation of vipers. You live a life that is uh, closer to vipers than anything. You need to change your manner. You need to bring forth fruits, meat for repentance, right? And we know that uh, we have to protect the integrity of the church, and that's for those that <clears throat> join the church and also that are members of the church, and you have to have accountability in that. We know if someone is just living in open rebellion to the Word of God, we can't allow them to be members of the church and, and allow the the that leaven of sin to permeate and leaven the whole lump, right? If someone is living in in open homosexuality or open drunkenness, or uh, has a real problem or a pending indictment uh, for stealing stuff, I mean, like you know, those are things that you need to change your course of life, right? Uh, and repentance is not just feeling sorry for something. 
Repentance implies a 180 degree turn. Like you're going east and you realize, wait a minute, I don't need to be going east. I turn around and I go due west, right? The exact opposite 180 degree turn. And there's a balance here. Um, I've tried to kind of meditate on that. We haven't had to cross that bridge too much, you know, but when someone, let's just say if someone who I know is living in open sin, you know, if they walk down the aisle and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God, I'm going to say, praise God that you believe in that. But you know what? It's not prudent for the church to just immediately say, okay, well, we're going to baptize you next week if we know that they're living in open rebellion, right? No, you need to take, go home and you need to bring forth some fruits meat for repentance. But there's a balance there because you don't want to quench the spirit either, right? That's why it takes a lot of wisdom to, to kind of navigate those situations because you don't want to say, you know, make sure that you get your life totally figured out before you come down the aisle because nobody's ever going to reach that point, right? But you can't be living in open rebellion to the word of God and you be baptized into the church, okay? So you place your faith in Jesus Christ, but also there is a manner of life that follows being a member of the Lord's church, repentance and faith, okay? I want to look at uh, repentance very quickly. Um, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. Now, we know where faith comes from, right? You don't generate faith yourself. Uh, faith is the working out, active faith of belief is the working out of what? Of the faith that God's already put in your heart in the new birth, right? Faith is a fruit of the Spirit. And then God, you have that nature of God that dwells inside you in the new birth, but faith is no different than all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. You know, there's something that is uh, maybe maybe the fruit of the Spirit that I struggle with the most is long-suffering, okay? Look, there's something inside of me that there's long-suffering down in there somewhere, right? I mean, <laughs> Sister Bethy's laughing. Uh, the, the Spirit of God dwells inside of me, right? And somewhere deep down in there, there's long-suffering in there because Jesus Christ is in there. But, Lord help me, it does not always get worked out right. You know, and we can say the same way with love and peace. You got, you got the joy, joy, joy down in your heart. You do <laughs> if you're a child of God. But that joy don't always come out, right? You know? So if you, could, you just go down the same way with meekness, right? <laughs> I mean, some children of God walk around very prideful. They got meekness down in their heart. But instead, the pride comes out instead of the meekness. And it's no different with faith, right? You have that nature of faith down in your heart, but it don't always get worked out exactly like it should. So here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, just because somebody feels like some degree of sorry because they got caught or they're having to face the consequences of their sin, that's not repentance, okay? Um, a serial killer that has been condemned to the death penalty, they could stand up and say, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry that I did this. And I'm sorry that number one, I got caught. I'm sorry that it has led to um, the judicial system requiring um, me to face capital punishment 
But that does not dictate godly sorrow, okay? People can feel sorry because there's a lot of people that are sorry when they have to face the consequences of their actions, right? I mean, there's some people, if, they, you know, if they're indicted on a, on a charge, um, there's some people, if they plead guilty, that say, you know what, I, I'd do it again, you know? I am, uh, I love stealing, I love, you know, whatever it is. And you know what? If you gave me the option, I'd do it again. Well, most of the time, even if they don't really mean it, most of the time when it gets to the sentencing portion, they have a, ch a chance to talk. They're going to say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I did that. Why? Because they're trying to just lessen the consequences of their actions, right? That's just the way we're wired. We don't, we don't want to face the full consequences of our actions. But just because somebody shows some degree of contrition and sorriness because they got caught or they're having to face the full consequences of their actions, that does not dictate biblical repentance, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll just start reading here in verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance, that you were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is going to work inside the child of God to prick their heart. That's what we saw happening in uh, Acts chapter 2, right? They stand up, they preach in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit, those cloven tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit, special there in that day. And the Holy Spirit worked in the heart of, the th of those 3,000 souls, of those devout men, and they were pricked in the heart, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what, what was the answer? This is always the admonition to those that are the recipients of the preaching of the word. The, the admonition is always repent and be baptized. And if you've already been baptized, which all of you here this morning have, if, if you've been baptized, the message is still repentance and faith. Okay? You need to make that first step. You need to make that first step so you can feel the, the answer of a good conscience. It doesn't put away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. And, and your repentance and faith does not have any bearing on on God saving you eternally, but it has everything to do with the answer of a good conscience and the peace of justification by faith in your own heart, okay? But even for those that are already baptized, the message of every single gospel sermon should always conclude with an admonition to repentance and faith because there is no area uh, of our life where we... Uh, are perfectly doing what we ought to do, there are always areas that we need to repent of. And you know what? I'm sure you probably struggle with the same thing that I struggle with. My faith is not always as bold as it should be. You struggle with the same struggles that that father during the Gospels, Lord, I believe, but Lord, help thou mine unbelief. My, my faith wavers from time to time, right? So therefore, I need my faith. I need someone to encourage me and my my. Uh, pure mind stirred up by way of remembrance, you need to, to reaffirm your faith and confidence and your trust in Jesus Christ. And if there's an area of your life where you're not walking as, as holy and as godly as you should, Lord, give me the clarity through your Holy Spirit to see that and allow me to repent to do better, right? So 
Yes, uh, as we as we've said, um, the Book of Acts is primarily focused on these public sermons that are preaching to people outside the church for the purpose of calling them inside the church. And that, that should be certainly our message to those that are outside the church. We want to do it in love, you know, repent and be baptized. We don't do it in a, in a gruff way, hopefully. But, I mean, we should always call them to say, look, there's something better for you in the kingdom. You need to repent and be baptized. But even for those that are already baptized, you still conclude the message by saying, you... Are, you need to be renewed in your repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we come to church, right? We don't come to church just to sit in a room and feel good. Uh, I hope the Spirit does bless you to, to feel good for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half or something. But the purpose of, of us approaching this is not just for us to have a mountaintop experience. It's so that our, our uh, interactions with, with God during this worship service changes the way that we conduct ourselves to where hopefully we're continuing to grow in our discipleship instead of decline, right? That's the purpose. That's the purpose. <clears throat> okay. Repentance and faith. Um, no eternal context, right? We always have to give that disclaimer. Uh, justification by faith in the conscience of the believer. Answer of a good conscience after especially after baptism, but even after you've submitted to baptism, you've been a member of the church for many years, um, there are times that the Holy Spirit will give us clarity of things that we need to repent of, and um, it will also guide us into that repentance, okay? So, let's go as briefly as we can, through uh, a few highlights of the book of Acts of uh, repentance and faith, but, but also trying to build up, really, <clears throat> trying to build up to these, these amazing testimonies that people will see and, and give all the glory to God in. You know, um, there are people that went out, that wild Gadarean, he's just such an extreme example. Saul of Tarsus is such an extreme example. Um, there are people that went out to that uh, wild Gadarean, and they tried to help him, right? They tried to talk to him. They tried to reason with him, but he wasn't in his right mind, so he couldn't be reasoned with. And, and the consensus of everyone that interacted with him is that there is no hope for him, Right? There's no way that any man can help him. Well, that's right, right? There's no way that any man could help him. The, the God-man came down, the Son of God came down, and he's the one that helped him. So therefore, the, uh, the people there in that area, in that region, in that community, they had reached the point to, to say there is no hope for this man. And then when you see him not just sitting in his right mind, but talking and evangelistically preaching about Jesus Christ, and this is what he did for us, people see that, and their only response is to give God the glory for it, right? And that's part of the reason why I think the Lord, <clears throat> you know, this is, this is something that I sure don't have answers to, but I think about every now and then. Uh, you know, why is it that the Lord, in his wisdom, when it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb and call me by his grace? We are born again, not by a response that we 
uh, we make a decision and the God regenerates us as a condition uh, or as an effect of a condition we met. But it's by his sovereign will about when he chooses to re regenerate someone, right? So in my mind, it would make a lot of sense for everyone to be regenerated in the mother's womb, right? Why would God delay? And remember, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But in my thoughts, it would make sense for every child of God to come out of the womb, you know, regenerated. And we don't, we don't know the reason for that, but we do know a couple examples of, number one, Saul of Tarsus, and then number two, the thief on the cross, right? Now, God's not the author of sin. He didn't condone any of the actions that they performed, but he allowed them to go down a manner of a sinful life for a period of time to where people would look at their testimony and say, you know what? They didn't choose this themselves. They're, they're, the manner of their life is so condemning that there's no way that they would have chosen to follow Christ, and it just shows the power and the sovereignty of God in immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, right? But in my mind, why would you, you know, why would you ever give them that kind of latitude to, to live a, a just unregenerate life? Why would you not born people again, everyone at a very early age, or maybe even in, in the womb? Well, we can't speak to that, right? You know that. That's in the Lord's will and his ways are higher than our ways and his wisdom we can't understand. But I think especially with Saul of Tarsus, I think we can see that the Lord suffered him to go in the route that he did to where no one could say anything other than this is the power of God that changed this man's life, right? And I think we can say the same thing about the wild Gadarean. He allowed them to get into such a bad spot and then when he changed their life, it wasn't for the, solely for the purpose of their benefit, is that there would be this amazing testimony of the, of the power of God and the power of, of the Holy Spirit in converting his children. So people would see that and say, this has to be of God, right? Okay, now let's look at that in, in a natural sense. That, that's what happened in Acts chapter 3. You know, obviously this is a spiritual kingdom, but the Lord teaches us uh, lessons in the spiritual kingdom with natural examples sometimes. Um, here in, in Acts chapter 3, we have this lame man that has, has been, been lame and been sitting there at the, uh, at the entrance of the temple for years. Everybody, if you've ever been to temple, if you're ever a good Jew that went to temple like you ought to, went to synagogue like you ought to, then you knew this guy. Everybody knew him. And why, right? Going back to, in a, you know, I don't want to mix my metaphors, but, but going back to uh, what we said about region, why would God not heal this man earlier, right? Why would he not? Yeah, yes, I know that, you know, he's, why wouldn't he? You, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, I think uh, Brother Mike Rogers preached on this uh, uh, a while back uh, here at Macedonia, and powerful message. But one of the one of the, the statements that, that Brother Mike made that, you know, it was there the whole time. He just never really thought about it. That's why I love listening to good preaching is that Jesus Christ walked by this man 
many, many times. And you know what? He chose to not heal him, right? In Jesus' ministry, he walked by this man and he chose to not heal him. Why would you do that, right? You're healing everybody else. Why would you omit this guy who, who has been sitting at the temple for years, his entire life, and can't walk? Why did God do that? He did it so that everyone in Jerusalem, you know, it was still the power of Jesus Christ that healed this lame man, but he wanted them to see that it was the power of Jesus Christ through these apostles that healed this lame man. Okay? He could have done it himself, but he chose not to. But he allowed the circumstances of this lame man's life to reach a point where everybody in Jerusalem knew who this guy was. And they knew that he had no ability to walk. So when they saw him walking, they knew something powerful had happened, right? So the Lord allowed him to get in this circumstance so that when he was healed, God would get 100% of the glory for it. And that's exactly what they did. They said, hey, don't think that we did anything about that. We healed him in the name of Jesus Christ. There wasn't anything special about us. This is the power of Jesus Christ who healed this man, not us. So sometimes the Lord suffers us a little bit in our folly and, and we're talking possibly about, you know, we, we, all we see is the, the wind blowing, if you will. We don't necessarily know at some points when uh, some men are regenerated or women are regenerated. We only can see the blowing of the wind and make, um, make our own conclusion. Sometimes can be incorrect. But we're kind of talking about the power of, of regeneration, Right? the power of someone living in just a totally ungodly life and the power of regeneration comes and then, and then after that, conversion. But there are other people that have a little bit of a different story that were devout people and then they fell into sin, right? They did join the church. They did love the Lord. They were, they were born again at an early age, but they fell into, as is so prone in the teenage years, uh, they fell into alcohol, they fell into drugs, they fell into sexual promiscuity, and, and they were down in the depths of the pig pen, right? They were down in the depths of the pig pen, and then when they're drawn back to the Father's house through faith and repentance, now they have a testimony to say, it's by the power of God that I am where I am today, right? Or, more appropriately, as Paul said, it's by the grace of God that I am what it's totally by the unmerited favor of God that I am who I am, right? And God gives his people those testimonies so that people can see that and be attracted and drawn to the kingdom, okay? So this lame man here has been lame for, for many years, and Jesus has passed by and he chose not to heal him at that time, you know. Something I've, I've really learned about God's will. <laughs> I say that. I, I don't even have authority to even speak about learning or knowing God's will. But something I've seen is that many times it's not necessarily about the outcome. It's about the timing. Okay? What I mean by that is it, it was God's will for this man to be healed. Right? But he waited until the exact right time according to his will and his purpose, right? 
Many times the outcome is what we desire, but you know, God answers every prayer. Yes, no, and not now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, sometimes we don't understand why the not now is. Why, if this is the outcome that I desire, well, in my mind, I think this is a really good time, Lord. Mm -hmm. Can you go ahead and put your rubber stamp on my, on my plan that I have drafted for you? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? That outcome may be the right outcome, but it may not be the right time yet, okay? Well, this was the exact right time because this was right after the day of Pentecost. These people had seen the power of God move there in the temple. They saw 3,000 people join the church. And now all of a sudden this lame man is walking and leaping and praising God. And what's his testimony about how he got healed? He didn't go to the doctor. He didn't get some new medicine. He says, I don't know who these guys are, but they said in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. <laughs> and then the people just gravitate over to Peter. And then he preaches this powerful message in, in Acts chapter 3. And you don't know how he concludes the message. Once he finally got his audience, what did he say? Repent. Repent and be baptized. And then 5,000 men were added to the church. Yay and amen, right? Okay, let's go. Uh, we talked a little bit last time about Acts chapter 6. Uh, the, the widows are being uh, neglected. They appoint the deacons. They have the full-time ministry, give herself continually to prayer to the ministry of the word. And when they did that, when they had the right disposition of that, the word of God, this is uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Okay? You know, men who were today's context, they're ordained men in other denominations. They were converted to be drawn into the kingdom. You know, the apostles can't take credit for that, right? Now, they preach it, and they should minister to them, and they should go line by line and precept upon precept and say, this is what the Bible says. This is, you know, this verse and this verse. Let's match it with this, and let's discern it rightly. But they can't take credit for these these natural born with high positions of authority and no doubt financial compensation that goes along with that and they're willing to give all that up for these little band of misfits and be cast out of the synagogue, right? They can't take credit for that. The Lord gave these powerful conversions as a testimony to the power of the kingdom, okay? Um... We won't spend time in Acts chapter 10, but you know the story of Cornelius, right? The centurion um, in Caesarea Philippi, and he was already a devout man, but he did not have the knowledge that he needed. And then Peter is led by the Holy Spirit to preach to him. And when he arrives, he says, of a truth, I perceive that God, that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Um... Acts chapter 16, we know the powerful testimony. Well, hold on, back up. I skipped Saul of Tarsus, right? Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, the most powerful example of immediate Holy Spirit regeneration that Saul is going uh, to, to Damascus with letters to threaten them and to throw them in prison and the members of the church. And then God, Jesus Christ, appears to him directly and personally on the road to Damascus. He calls him by name. We are born again by the voice of the Son of God, and all of the sheep of God will know him because he knows them by name, and he calls them by name. And when he regenerates you, whatever your name... He called him Saul here, by the way. Uh, 
You know, is is David Matthew Wise written on the Lamb's Book of Life? I don't know. There's some references to new names and things like that. I don't necessarily know, but he knows them all by name. Whatever the name is, he calls them directly by name. And in this instance, there were other people with him. There were other people with him that were on the road traveling with him. So he calls Saul by name. And this is when he was regenerated. And Jesus did not come to him and say, you know, I have offered salvation to you. I love the whole world. I love you. And if you just give me your heart, I'll be happy to regenerate you. He was consumed. He was overpowered. And he immediately said, who art thou, Lord? He immediately denoted that you are my curious Lord, which means master. I don't even know who you are at this moment. He introduces himself as Jesus. But before that, he doesn't even know who this is. But he says, I don't know your name, but I know you are my authority. You are my master. And then says, and then Jesus says, I'm Jesus. This is my name. Which is the kind of Abba Father knowledge that every child of God has that they shall know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Well, right there, Saul of Tarsus, he knew the Lord. Who art thou, Lord? Well, he didn't know Jesus' name yet. And then Jesus says, I'm Jesus. Whom thou persecutest. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And then he said, Lord, okay, now I know. If anyone has the ability, because of their own stubbornness, to reject the sovereignty of God in regeneration, who do you think would would you put at the top of the list that would opt out of eternal salvation? If it's up to you, who do you think is the principal example of someone when he found out this was Jesus... There is no one that's a better example than Saul of Tarsus who in his wicked reprobate state would say, you know what? Thank you for offering eternal salvation, Jesus Christ, but I'm happy where I'm at. I'm going to pass. Well, that's not what he said, right? (laughs) No, he was immediate. The nature of his soul was immediately changed from that stony heart to a fleshly heart. And now all of a sudden he is conforming to the will of, of Jesus, who a couple seconds ago in his soul he hated. <clears throat> okay? Now, we know the rest of the story. He goes home, he goes to Damascus, three days, blind, not eating anything. And every time, we, we talked about this some when we talked about personal evangelism and our testimony. We should, we should give a testimony to others about the power of God in our life. When... Uh, when Saul of Tarsus was consi- when Paul was consistently brought before all these different uh, trials, before leaders and kings and all this stuff, what he typically did, what he typically did, was not give an exposition of some verse. What he typically did was recount his experience. Right? This is who I was. I, I, w- I was going and compelling them to blaspheme. But then Jesus Christ appeared to me on the road to Damascus and he changed my life. He gave Saul this testimony and then everywhere that he was elevated to give an opportunity, he told what the Lord had done for him. And then he said, because God has done this for me, now you repent, be baptized and place your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, he gave him that testimony so that everywhere that he was called to preach, you know, those Greeks, 
Paul said to the Jew, I became as a Jew so I could save some. To the Greeks, I came. I, I want to talk the language of the people and meet them where they are. I'm not compromising anything. But you want to know what he did to everybody? He told them about the sovereignty of God in his testimony of regeneration. Now, in his wisdom and his amazing intellect, you know, he would take a little bit of a different route with the Jews, right? He'd focus on the law and kind of what he does in Hebrews. And then with the Greeks, he'd kind of use the Greek poets and try to meet them where they're at to try to draw them in. But what he told everybody, what he told everybody was the power of my radical conversion. This is who I was. This is who I am. And the only difference is that Jesus Christ appeared to me on the, on the road to Damascus. The only difference is the intercession of Jesus Christ. Uh, Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, right? Powerful, radical testimony. He would have been a very harsh, gruff, no doubt a, a for him to be in charge of the whole jail, a seasoned Roman soldier. But he, his heart was immediately tendered and he desired, men and brethren, uh, uh, what must I do to be saved? He needed deliverance in his life. He wasn't asking to be saved to heaven. I need deliverance right here in this moment. He said, believe, believe on Jesus Christ. He was baptized. And then he went and those men that he commanded uh, for their backs to be beaten previously, he went and he washed their stripes by the end of the day. Right? Well, that is a powerful testimony of a radical conversion, right? I mean, we can just read the text of it and say, wow, look at the, not necessarily the, you know, Paul said, I, I don't have enticing words of man wisdom. It wasn't a fancy sermon that Paul preached that, can, that, uh, that convicted and, and converted this Philippian jailer. No, it was the power of God, Okay. And the Lord gives these testimonies all throughout his kingdom to show that it's not about us, right? It's not really even about how good the church is. It's to show how great the power of God is and the value that you can have in the church if you're willing to press into it, okay? He gives those testimonies to, to attract people who are broken. You know, I know that we're very prone, and this is to my own shame. It's just, it's just true. We're very prone to only want to invite the, the people that we would perceive to be a nice, middle-class, Caucasian family of five with good-looking kids that act really good. But that kid that, you know, that's a little bit of a brat, you know, I may not... I may not go out of my way to invite that family, right? You know, man, he's going to cause a lot of problems in the church. And, you know, I mean, they, they seem nice enough, but, but you know, I'm not going to go out of my way. To, I may invite them one time so I can absolve my conscience that I did it, but I'm not going to ask them the second and the third time. But I tell you who you're definitely not. And, and you're, right to, uh, you're right to think this way. Acts chapter 19 in Ephesus. Acts chapter 19. Who you're not going to look at and say, you know what, that'd be a really good member of our church one of these days, are people who are engaged in witchcraft. 
Okay, we're going to talk about the church at Ephesus. Well, let's talk about the church in Corinth for a minute. He says, these are the people that are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, not revilers, extortioners, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, drunkards, idolaters, thieves, and all this stuff. But such were some of you. Listen, the church in the kingdom is not for people who have got everything together. The church in the kingdom is not a country club for saints. You've heard this before. It's a hospital for broken, destitute sinners. Which, by the way, that feeds right back into the necessity of a full-time ministry for the church to do as much as they can to, in the situation they're in to support that. Because I'll tell you, when you bring those broken people into the kingdom, they don't only have problems once a week. They don't have problems that can only be dealt with uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. On, on weeknights. No, they need people that are available all the time when you bring those kind of broken people in, okay? But we can just be honest here together, right? I don't look at those people and say, you know what? That would be a great church member one of these days. But I tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit can do some powerful things. The way he... Uh, God's ways are not our ways. His, his thoughts are not our thoughts. The way he chooses to grow his kingdom may not look like what we expect for how he chooses to grow his kingdom. And here in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul, he was preaching boldly and publicly. What we skipped there in Acts chapter 17 is he was elevated. He saw the, the city there in Athens. It was wholly given to idolatry. He goes and he preaches in the marketplace and he's preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then he had the ability, uh, because he caused such a stir, that he had the ability to speak on Mars Hill to, to Areopagus. And he said there, which is a very important point there in Acts chapter 17, that God now calls all men everywhere to repent. So when we preach the gospel, we don't try to reach the conclusion, you know what, I think that might, that might be, I think I see enough fruit of the Spirit there. I think that's probably one of God's elect. I think I want to preach to them. No, you preach the gospel indiscriminately, and you let the Holy Spirit do its work, okay? Now, what happened when he preached there on Mars Hill? One of those men that was of the, it's hard for us to put this in context, but one of the leaders of the Senate, there's been, uh, I can't remember his name, Sam Rayburn maybe? Um, the Texans sure know about Sam Rayburn, um, who was, uh, I think, the Speaker of the House for a really long time, and he was a primitive Baptist, and uh, presidents went to his funeral and all that. But what do you? What would you think if? Uh, let's not talk about some conservative Republican figure in the Senate. What would you say if the most radical liberal in the Senate? I don't want to name names. You. Maybe you read the news enough, you can assume who, who that might be for you. The most radical liberal in the Senate, what would you say if by the preaching of the gospel they came and they desired to join some little bitty country primitive Baptist church? That would make waves, wouldn't it? That'd make, that'd make the news. Some liberal senator goes and joins this little bitty band of misfits that nobody knows. What's a permanent Baptist? You know, the media sure don't know who a permanent Baptist is. Our friends don't know who a permanent Baptist is. The media sure doesn't, right? So if that ever happened, it would be headline news. 
Paul went up there and he preached in, Mar in uh, at Mars Hill. And one of those members of the Senate, of the political leaders in Athens, said, you know what? I want to join the church. I want to be a member of this band of misfits here in Athens. I don't necessarily think that the Apostle Paul, when he was preaching to all of them, he said, you know what? I think this is a group of really good church members. If you've made your way to being on the Areopagus in Athens, you are most likely a very dishonest person, right? I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence in politicians anyway, but back then, Athens, you were probably a very dishonest and immoral person if you had ascended to the level of politics that that man was. But you know what? The power of the Holy Spirit touched his heart and he said, you know what? I want to unite myself with this Paul and the church and the kingdom. Okay, Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, Ephesus. Verse 17. This was known to all the Jews and the Greeks, also the dwellings, at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And the conversion rates change all the time. Uh, as an accountant, I tried to get a good number. Of, that's a lot of money. Okay, 50,000 pieces of silver is a lot of money. And if I was counseling them, I'd say, you know what, guys? Let's not burn them. Let's just sell them, right? We can feed a lot of widows with this money by selling these books. But they said, you know what? We are, we, we have chosen to place our faith in Christ and and due to the burden of the Holy Spirit of repentance in my life, I'm not going to keep that book on my shelf. I feel so compelled that I'm going to burn this book because I can't stand that former way of life anymore. That's what repentance and faith looks like. And I'll tell you, repentance and faith comes from avenues that we would not expect, right? When Paul preached the gospel indiscriminately in Ephesus, I don't think that he was targeting there's a reason when he went, which was a good, was a good strategy, good manner. He said he went into a city, and his manner was to go in the synagogue first. Why? Because those, these were religious men, godly men for the most part, that have a high authority of the Mosaic Law, right? That's a good place to start, isn't it? Right? And that's why his manner, when he went to, into a city, let's go talk to the religious men that hold the Old Testament Mosaic Law in high esteem, and then some people believe. But his manner, most likely, was not to go in the middle of a witchcraft seance and say, you know what, these are going to be really good church members one day, right? But what happened when the Holy Spirit got a hold of them, right? They said, we're going to burn these books. And they went, now, if you're living in witchcraft, we're going to need, some, we're going to, need to see some fruits meet for repentance, right? We need to see some books burned, <laughs> okay? Yes, Yes, the requirement to join the church is to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But don't you ever forget, even the devils believe and tremble, and they confess that he's the Son of God, okay? When you say that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you're not just saying, I believe in his deity. You're confessing other things as well. You're confessing a belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
saved by grace alone, you believe in his resurrection, and also you are committing yourself to the accountability and the authority of the church that I am going to live a righteous and a godly life. Okay? Now, spends more time in Ephesus, and Demetrius is the leader of these silversmiths, and the power of the gospel was so abundant here in Ephesus and in all of Asia that they were putting the graven image industry out of business. He says here that Demetrius the silversmith, he's standing up, and these men had got rich off idolatry. They got rich off graven images. And he said, sirs, speaking to all the rest of these men that had got rich off of this, Acts 19 and uh, 26, sirs, ye know that by this craft we have got our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul. <laughs> what we didn't read there in uh, Acts chapter 17 is that the accuser, the enemies of the church said, these that have turned the world upside down. That, that, that's a pretty good picture of repentance, isn't it? <laughs> right? The world in its wickedness appears to be right side up. What did the church do? It turned the world upside down, the exact opposite direction, right? And they said, this Paul, this guy Paul showed up, and now all of a sudden, nobody's coming to the temple of Diana anymore. Nobody's coming to temple, and nobody's buying our graven images anymore. The power of the gospel was putting the graven image industry out of business. And those people, backing up to those people there in Thessalonica, we don't have time to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, but he said, I know your election of God, knowing, brother and beloved, your election of God, because the gospel came unto you, not in word only, but in power and in much assurance. And another aspect of that is those in Thessalonica, you turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. In Thessalonica, same thing. They put away idols and the power of God of the Holy Spirit was moving so strongly here in this early thriving kingdom was that they were putting graven image idolatry out of business and we've talked about this before we've got an article on Macedonia's website revivals called a radical repentance we've talked about this before but think about how many industries if just the children of God, the unregenerate are always going to be the unregenerate, okay? But if just the children of God followed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how many ungodly industries would be put out of business, right? That's what I call radical repentance, radical conversions. Because you don't, you don't just, when you're a, in a pagan culture, you don't just... It was very similar to the Jewish culture that if you got cast out of the synagogue, you couldn't transact business. You lost your business if you had one. That's the same type of pressure that they put on the people in these, these Gentile cities that if you rejected the Temple of Diana, it was just as severe as you being cast out of the synagogue. Okay? So I'm willing to give all that up for the kingdom, for the kingdom. And when people hear that testimony, they're like, why in the world? You had this thriving business, right? 
you had this thriving business and you were happy worshiping idols a couple weeks ago. Why are you burning your books and burning your idols? And now all of a sudden you're willing to have your business ruined. And then our response should always be, come and see, right? Come and see, because there's a treasure that's hidden in a field. Matthew 13, there's a treasure that's hidden in a field that's worth selling all that you have to obtain that treasure. But when you see that type of radical change, we talked about this when we talked about personal evangelism. Our actions should invite questions from the people around us, right? And when, you, when, when those questions come, they would say, why, would, why is this radical change happened in your life? Well, let me tell you why. The power of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and his kingdom. And if that's something that sounds interesting to you, Come and see us on Sunday, but don't wait till Sunday. Come to my house, and I'll tell you about it, right? <laughs> I mean, we hope that you come. Come to Yes, yes we're going to show up next Sunday at 1030. But before then, <laughs> let's not wait five days. Until then, come to my house for supper tonight. Let me tell you about it. You see, that's the kind of powerful testimony that the Lord gives his church in his kingdom. And I just pray that we don't quench the spirit. Let's just get out of the way of the spirit, right? Don't quench it. Don't quench it. And the Spirit can do some powerful things in the kingdom. And it's certainly our hope and prayer that that He will see fit to do that according to His will. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.